citizen. The Arrival, Chapter 40. Tracy's first week at his new job was typical with orientation. More importantly, Tracy was free to find his perfect spouse. Several men answered his ad, and Tracy found it easy to weed through most of them conversing by email. The first person Tracy met was not a good fit, which was obvious when they got together over coffee. The second candidate was a good match, and they dated a few times. Their careers were compatible, and he spoke of the future they could build together. He was a college quarterback, a man's man the way Moody liked Pete, and was effervescent like Justin. As time went on, Tracy was ready to place a pause on his website profile. Before he did, Tracy decided to spend a weekend alone with God because he didn't want to run blindly into another bad relationship. Besides, there still wasn't anything under the iron decor in his foyer. On the other hand, Tracy thought, he hadn't checked his profile in a while. After work, Tracy got some dinner and decided to watch a movie. When he logged in, there was a new email that seemed to fit, and Tracy answered. As the conversation continued, it seemed the feeling was mutual. Well, what are you doing tonight? The third man typed. I am just staying home to spend some time by myself. Tracy responded, because he had purposed not to go anywhere or see anyone. Well, that's fine. I work mostly on the weekends, and I have to get up early tomorrow. Would you like to meet tomorrow night? Hmm. That's not pushy or overly aggressive, Tracy thought. And he seems interested. Well, I'm not going anywhere, Tracy typed. If you want to stop by. I have another few students, the third man said. And then I could come over, if that would be okay. And it was. Tracy met Bob late on Friday, November 10th, 2006, and they watched a movie together. Bob was Tracy's age, white, and average height. He had a crew cut and wire glasses, which Tracy thought made Bob look intelligent and that he had potential. The next night, Bob came for dinner. It got late, and Bob had to get up early on Sunday to direct his church choir. Why don't you stay over? Tracy offered. My house is much closer to your church. And that way, you won't have to drive home. I'll make breakfast for you. And he did. Over the next month, Tracy continued dating the second candidate and saw more of Bob. Then, Tracy visited Bob's voice studio at his church and became more intrigued. A few weeks before Christmas, Tracy had a project to finish that required him to work late and he wouldn't get home until after dinner. It was a Tuesday, which was one of Bob's odd days off, so Bob offered to cook dinner. Because Bob had a roommate, he asked to cook at the townhouse, and Tracy checked in. Why does he want to cook me dinner while I'm not there? Tracy asked. Nobody has a key to my house. Todd doesn't. 
Neither does Tori, who I've known all my life. Tracy didn't get an answer, and understood he was on his own. But he does work for a church, Tracy reasoned. I know where to find him. It's not like he's going anywhere, and he's been here before. So Tracy gave Bob the key to his perfect townhouse, and left for his long workday. As for Bob, he had his weekly meeting with the pastor in the morning. That was followed by rehearsal plans and edits to the church bulletin. Then Bob was free for the afternoon, and he headed to Tracy's townhouse. By mid-afternoon, Bob was at the grocery across from Tracy's development, and he went to work in his kitchen. By evening, Bob had pâté, cornichons, gruyere, and apple slices plated on the kitchen's granite countertop. He had parmesan-encrusted pork chops holding in the oven, garlic-mashed potatoes, and minted baby carrots waited on the stove, and the banana pudding cooled in the refrigerator. Bob borrowed the CD player from the jacuzzi and set it up in the kitchen to play Mel Torme, the Velvet Fog. But nothing prepared Bob for the reception he received. Around eight o'clock, Tracy entered his well-lit house. When he looked at his foyer wall, Tracy slumped against the front door. He dropped his briefcase involuntarily and began to cry, which Bob didn't realize at first. Tracy couldn't move and continued to sob. When Tracy gradually slid down the door to sit on the floor, Bob became concerned. It was the first time Bob had ever been in Tracy's house by himself, and he wasn't sure what was happening. "'Are you okay?' Bob asked, but Tracy wasn't reachable. Unknown to either of them, as Bob locked his studio door, something caught his eye. Bob had all his worldly possessions in the voice studio he built off the choir room of his church. Before he left to cook Tracy dinner, Bob grabbed the framed needlepoint his grandmother had given him. It bothered Bob that the first thing seen in Tracy's home was a wrought iron decor hung too high. Bob thought there would be just enough room and decided if Tracy didn't like it, he would take it down immediately. When Bob let himself into Tracy's townhouse, the first thing he did was hang the needlepoint. To Bob's surprise, it fit perfectly between the ironwork and the light switch, and the wall seemed complete. That was the first thing Tracy saw when he entered his perfect house, as someone stood in his kitchen. Then what God had promised Tracy washed over him, and he was overwhelmed. All Tracy could do was look at the needlepoint underneath his wrought iron artwork that read, God Bless Our Home, in red letters with a pink yarn background. Bob's mama made it for him for Christmas when he graduated college, with hopes Bob would settle down and start a family. If you don't like the velvet fog, we can put on en vogue, Bob said, but there was no response. Is it the Gruyere? Bob tried. Because I know a lot of people aren't familiar, although it's a great cheese, especially with apples. Tracy kept sobbing.
I can't believe this is him, Lord, was the only thing Tracy could think. How is this possible? There was no answer from him. Bob came over to collect Tracy's briefcase and set it to the side. Then he tried to help Tracy slide himself back up the door to stand. Bob knew that whatever was happening, it was cathartic. Bob also knew that Tracy, the person who had awakened more within him than he thought possible, was at a crossroads. So Bob didn't say any more, and waited until Tracy was able to stand. After, Bob wiped Tracy's eyes with a tissue. I thought you liked pork chops, Bob joked, and Tracy smiled a little. <laughs> you don't understand, Tracy said. That's okay, but let's get this coat off, and we can get you settled down. That's just it. And Tracy looked at Bob as tears ran down his face. Bob had no idea what Tracy meant, but Bob did want Tracy to be okay that he was in his house when Tracy came home, and that he felt safe. Bob also didn't want his pork chops to dry out, so he took Tracy's coat and hung it in the hall closet. Then he helped Tracy into the kitchen, and offered him something to drink to go with the hors d'oeuvres. I think I need to go upstairs, Tracy said, without having anything. Okay, Bob said. And maybe I'll take a shower to get the day off, Tracy decided. That's fine. Take your time, Bob said, and Tracy went upstairs to his bedroom. Bob turned off the oven and went to wait on the burgundy couch and watched TV. Are you for real, Lord? Tracy asked as he took off his suit and tie. There was still no answer. The proof was on the wall, but Tracy decided not to tell Bob. The two hadn't known each other that long, and they hadn't had a chance to talk about God other than their churches. Tracy didn't want to scare Bob, so he kept what he was experiencing to himself. Hello everyone, Tracy here. I hope you're enjoying my story. We'll let you know how to support this podcast later. But for now, the best thing you can do is follow us and share it with your friends and family. So if you like what you're hearing, please help us out by telling people about it. And thanks again. Although... Tracy decided to explore the idea Bob might be his perfect spouse. A few days later, they went to a community Christmas concert. On the way home, they passed Tory and Tracy's church, and Tracy decided to find out. So, what's your relationship like with God? Tracy asked. I'm not sure what you mean, Bob said. Do you mean in terms of my work with the church? Maybe, Tracy said. But I was thinking of your personal relationship with him. Well, and Bob had to think a moment. I feel closest to him through music. 
I feel close to God when I sing, and I always know what hymns to pick for each service before I know what the sermon is about. Well, that's something, Tracy said, although what Bob said didn't seem much compared to being in his presence as often as Tracy had. I also know when I'm not in the right place, Bob said, which is where I've been a lot the past few years. And Bob realized he was considerably lighter because there was a grace in Tracy that Bob hadn't experienced in many years. But that's how I know what to teach, Bob continued. Whether it's a private student or my choir, something comes over me. Then I say things that are more brilliant than I understand, or I move people emotionally before I know what I said. That's when I know he helped me unlock something. I feel his spirit come through me. He helps the choir sing, and we inspire the congregation. Tracy kept listening. I feel like a conduit when I conduct, Bob said. It's my job to pull out the love and beauty that is inherent in the music in order to bless the congregation with it. Like a connection between the two worlds, Tracy said. The two worlds, Bob asked. Well, this world and... And Tracy hedged. Mm, the heavens. That's it exactly, and Bob smiled. I have always felt I could help people experience God through music, especially choral music, because a choir literally speaks the truth. I wonder, Tracy said, and then he thought, What are you putting together, Lord? What? Bob asked. Tracy was wary, but he took a step. I wonder if God is putting together a praiser and a worshiper. I'm not sure what that means, Bob said, but I know our church experiences are different. I'm not very familiar with the charismatic church. I've only known traditional churches. I was drawn to the National Cathedral because the music was so good. It is different, Tracy said, and decided to take another step. So, have you ever heard from God? You mean, heard his voice directly? Yeah, Tracy said. Bob was about to say no, but then he remembered something he hadn't thought about in decades. Bob was born in New Jersey, but moved to Maine when he was eight. He spent his summers on Hurricane Island, where his parents worked for the Outward Bound School. He listened to readings of Thoreau and Nietzsche on the morning meeting rock and learned about his inner child. Then, Bob had an odd experience. Hurricane Island was a marvelous but dangerous place. The purpose of the month-long course was to push students to find themselves, which included capsizing a pulling boat for safety training. The double-ended boats were like Viking ships, and were stripped for the drills. Only the built-in rowing benches and a small deck for the helmsmen remained. In that deck was a two-foot square opening for a portable compass. The boats were wooden and heavy, and the watch of twelve kids 
capsized the boat on top of them. For safety, a pair of divers was in the water. They guided students into the air pocket or cleared them to the surface. As a teenager, Bob ran a small outboard skiff kept on standby for years. He watched boat after boat turn onto its occupants. Then Bob heard the divers explain to panicked students how to dive back down and get out of the air pocket under the capsized boat. The summer after his freshman year of college, Bob decided to become such a diver. The day for his training was overcast. At first, Bob observed the two divers in his wetsuit, and his weight belt made him otherworldly in the water. Before the second capsize, Bob's instructor suggested he hold the edge of the boat as it came over. This would effortlessly push him down from the weight, and then Bob could resurface. Because the other divers needed to be by the students, Bob did this near the stern of the boat to stay clear. What Bob or his teacher didn't realize was the eddy of the tide. In the small cove, the current circulation was strong a few feet below the back of the boat. As the pulling boat came over, Bob put his hand up to catch the rail, which pushed him under the water as planned. When Bob thought he was in the air pocket, he hit his head. It was dark and disorienting, and he reached up and felt the flatness of plywood. Then Bob realized he had drifted up into the steering deck. So he tried to push himself down, to have the tide carry him out from under the boat, but the funnel of the tide was too strong. Bob realized he was quickly running out of oxygen and options, and that he was at an unmistakable crossroads. Then Bob was made to understand there was air in the compass box. He reached up to feel the deck again, and found the small square hole. He put his hands in and felt air rather than cold water. At that point, Bob knew he had to trust him more than himself. The question was whether Bob's head would fit, and if there would be enough air trapped for him to take a breath. It was also an all-or-nothing deal, because Bob knew he had to expel all his air before he ripped off his mask to breathe inside the box. Then, as Bob hung weightless three feet underwater, he felt a warmth hold him as he guided Bob under the two-foot box. So Bob exhaled all his bad air and ripped off his mask. Then he felt the shock of main water, tilted his head skyward, and took a humongous breath into darkness. Immediately, it was as if a light was switched on, Bob saw his head inside the compass box as if he watched the scene in a movie. But it seemed to Bob he was with someone, and Bob took several breaths. His energy was replenished and then some, which made Bob laugh. Totally refreshed, Bob tilted his head to get out of the box. He inadvertently let go of his mask and swam blind because of the salt water. 
but Bob knew how far to get out from under the boat, and that he had passed the test. When Bob surfaced, he heard the other divers helping students out from under the boat's air pocket. Once everyone was out from underneath, Bob's instructor came around the stern of the boat with his mask. "'Are you okay?' his instructor asked. "'I'm great,' Bob said. "'I guess I lost my mask in the process. Th "'Thanks for getting it for me.' "'But Bob was glad he lost his mask, "'and from then on he knew how much God had his back. "'Now, as they drove, Bob couldn't believe he had forgotten. "'I think I did,' Bob said. "'You think you did what?' Tracy asked, because a bit of time had passed during Bob's reverie of twenty years, and the revelation was strong. I think I have heard God, Bob realized, although not directly, like a voice. I just felt his presence, and he showed me what to do, and he saved me. But he wasn't done with Bob. In fact, he was just getting started. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you would like to purchase the book, Dual Citizen, it is available on Amazon. Be sure to search for Dual Citizen, The Connection. All three books, The Connection, The Training, and The Arrival, are available in print as well as on Kindle. Dual Citizen, The Connection, is also available on Audible. So, if you would like to skip ahead and see how everything turns out, feel free. But don't tell your friends the ending. Thanks again, and we hope everyone will find their place at the table.